Good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. If we've never been introduced, my name is Connor Bales. I have the privilege of serving as the pastor here at the North Campus. And if you're a guest with us today, welcome to worship at Prestonwood. We're so honored uh, to have you here with us. If you brought your copy of God's Word, go with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I will put the scriptures on the screen behind me. You can follow along. Uh, with your neighbor beside you. I always encourage you, if your neighbor won't share with you and you live with them, you need to schedule an appointment with us, okay? But uh, Matthew chapter 24, as James mentioned at the welcome, it has been a special weekend uh, for us as a church family, Freedom Weekend. Our students uh, just have had uh, encouragement and encounters uh, with God all weekend long. In fact, in the next hour, as James was mentioning to you, uh, we are planning to baptize like 18 or 20 uh, students whose lives have been changed by the power of Jesus Christ. And so that is worth our celebrating here today. But man, what a week. It's been crazy, right? Like today is like bluebird skies. It's amazing weather. But we were iced in all week. And I don't know about you guys, but I was going stir crazy. Anybody else get cabin fever? It's just too much, right? And so by Wednesday afternoon, I had to get out of the house. Fortunately, Mary had some errands uh, that I could run. But I will say, did you know CVS sells groceries? So I went and ran an errand, and I came back with like five grocery bags. I spent $60 on junk food. It was awesome. And I'm never allowed to go shopping for the Bales family ever again. But I'm so honored that you are here with us today. And this morning, I have the privilege of casting some vision for us as a church regarding what I believe is the next step of faith in stewarding all the opportunity that God is entrusting to us as a family of faith. And before we dive into our passage today, it's Matthew chapter 24. Here's a bit of context, just so you'll know what it is we're going to see. Uh, we're going to concentrate today just on one single verse in Matthew chapter 24. This is what scholars tell us is the Olivet Discourse of Jesus. So beginning in Matthew chapter 24, really going through all of Matthew chapter 25, it's the longest recorded conversation Jesus has talking about the end times. And there was some natural curiosity by the disciples regarding the darkness in the world around them as to when Jesus was going to return or when God was going to bring all things to an end. And naturally, you and I are probably a people at times witnessing the darkness that exists around us as well. Well, we wonder the same things. And Jesus makes a very profound statement right in the middle of Matthew chapter 24. Jesus said there is something that God is going to do. And until he's finished with that thing that he has promised, then the end will come. And not a moment uh, before that. And so we're going to see today what it is that God is doing. And I believe this is the privilege that we as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ not only have the opportunity to witness, but it is something we have the opportunity to work alongside of as God is going to do what only God can do. Matthew chapter 24, that's a long introduction. It's going to be a short sermon. We all know that's not true. Uh, verse 14, Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 14. If you're there, say, I got it. Here we go. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. Now, if you mark or highlight in your Bibles, I want you to underline that phrase, will be, and then I want you to circle the word proclaimed. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. And Jesus says it will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Underline the word all. 
and then the end will come. I'll read it through one more time in its totality. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I'm going to show you uh, just a few significant realities I think that are worthy of our attention, and then I want us to go into detail to try to apply, okay, well, how does that impact us as a family of faith? In other words, what should that mean uh, to me. So the first thing I'm going to draw your attention to is this uh, bold statement that Jesus says uh, or makes regarding the work of God. And it's not something that you and I are going to be able to manufacture on our own. In fact, he says there is a gospel of the kingdom and it is going to be proclaimed. In other words, Jesus says it will be done. This is the work that God has promised he is going uh, to do. It's not something that should be done. It's not something that can be done. It's not something that ought to be done. It is something that Jesus says God is absolutely going to do. Now, here's the amazing part, is he has invited us, his church, those who have been changed by this gospel of the kingdom, to participate in the work that Jesus said God is already going to do. It's like um, uh, when you and I, uh, when I get home from work, imagine if... um, Mary is cooking dinner, and she's got all the ingredients laid out on the countertop, and I walk in the back door, and I come in the house, and I'm like, oh, I see what you got going here. Here's what we're going to have for dinner, and then I start trying to order and and figure out and take over uh, uh, what it is that we're going to to eat. No, listen, if I want to participate in any way uh, that is helpful at all, the only thing I need to do is put on an apron and get to work. Because she's already decided what it is that we're going to eat. Well, listen, God has already decided how it is that he is going to work. He's going to proclaim this gospel of the kingdom, and he's going to do it throughout the whole world, and he's going to do it as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end is going to come. So it's time for the church to put on the apron and be about the work that God has entrusted to you and to me. Somebody needs to say amen. What is wrong? Okay, so it's time for us to put on an apron because God has invited us into the kitchen and we just get to watch the chef start to cook, you know what I mean? And this is what it is that Jesus has said God is going to do. Here's the second thing. Jesus declares that this gospel that is going to be proclaimed, that will be proclaimed, it's not a gospel of good people. It's not a gospel of good programming. It is a gospel of the kingdom. In other words, this is the work of God. This is what Jesus actually told the New Testament church that we ought to be praying for. Do you remember when the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? And Jesus says, when you pray, you pray like this. And he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then what? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, right? This is what Jesus told us we ought to pray for. And now the Bible tells us we are getting to witness this work unfolding that we've asked God alone to do. That this gospel that Jesus declared, it's a gospel of the kingdom. The gospel that Jesus told us we ought to pray that God would bring. The other thing I think that is worth our attention is the gospel that Jesus said will be proclaimed. It's a gospel uh, to the whole world. It's a testimony to all the nations. It's a gospel that saved your life and saved mine. And it is a testimony to everyone everywhere. In other words, what God uh, did in you doesn't end with you. Listen, I'm going to say that again. What God has done in you does not terminate on you because if it did then it would never would have reached you because it would have terminated on the person who shared to you 
But the gospel that has changed you doesn't stop with you. In fact, this is the miracle work of God that he has invited us into this proclamation, into this declaration that Jesus Christ saves. In fact, um, when I was saved in, uh, in July uh, of, two th- of 1998, uh, I was a junior in college. And uh, I never imagined uh, back then what God was going to allow me to see done uh, by now. I never imagined when God saved me, all the places he would allow me to go, all the incredible people he would allow me uh, to meet. In fact, a few years ago in 2018, I had the privilege of going to what is now the poorest country in all of the world, and it is Burundi in East Africa. And I have a picture to show you of a refugee camp where we went and we worked and we served. And again, I had the opportunity to go into the poorest place on the planet and to proclaim the good news of the gospel that had changed my life. But when God saved me as a knucklehead junior in college, I had no idea. Like I didn't get born again and then all of a sudden think, you know what? I can't wait for the day when God sends me to a country I've never heard of. But that's what he does. That's the work of the good news of the gospel. And if you have been changed by God's grace, then there are things in your life today that you'd never imagine he would have allowed you to see, much less allowed you to do. And that's the work of the gospel of the kingdom of God in the life of the people who belong to him. Think about what Jesus says. It's a testimony to all this gospel of the kingdom. And so the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom, it's a work that God is doing And as Christ followers, we have a part to play. As the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility. I would tell you it's like a a role that has been entrusted uh, to us. And and so I want to share with you, here's how we want to be found faithful with this proclamation of the gospel right here at Prestonwood Baptist Church. So what does this mean for us? Well, how do we proclaim. I'm going to share with you how I believe God has called us to proclaim. The first way we proclaim here at Prestonwood, again, get behind this work that God has said he is going to do. Well, we proclaim as we gather in worship. What you and I are experiencing even now is something supernatural. This is our adoration of God. This is our giving God his worship. This is our giving God his praise. This is our giving God the glory that he is due. And let me just clarify something for you. Worship is not merely telling God something he already knows. Worship is making a declaration that God deserves. It is absolutely giving to God the allegiance and affection of our hearts. It is committing to God that he is the most important thing in all of our lives because of who he is. And we witness that in light of what he has done. And it's a miracle when it takes place, when we gather together in this place and we lift our voices in song and we open God's word uh, and ask him to speak to our hearts. It's a miracle. And it's something supernatural that exists when we gather together to proclaim the goodness of God in the worship that he rightly deserves. In one place in the scriptures, again, I could talk to you uh, for hours and hours about the places where the scriptures describe the necessity of God's people to embrace the spirit of worship. But in one place in particular, King David, the Bible says a man after God's own heart, has this moment where he is uh, compelled to give God the glory that he is due. And what has happened is the Ark of the Covenant, which was the uh, Old Testament's place where God would have uh, met with his people. It would have been a a symbolic evidence of God's very presence with his uh, people. 
people. Now, today in the church, we have the Holy Spirit of God that indwells us. So the presence of God goes everywhere all the time. And so we understand. But in the Old Testament, when the, when the Ark of the Covenant was brought in a final place of rest in Jerusalem, and, and they didn't have to uh, move it from place to place anymore, David was so excited because the people would have a, a central place for unifying worship, for gathering to give God the praise that he is due. And here's how David extols this excitement and, and teaches the church on what it looks like to have a heart of worship for God. Listen to what it says in 1 Chronicles 16. David speaks and he says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared among all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens... Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nation, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then, the, then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. This is why we gather in worship. This is why we lift our voices in song. It is a supernatural occurrence that you and I get to experience every single week. And one of the ways in which it ministers and blesses me is that, believe it or not, there are the times when I come into worship on a Sunday and I'm discouraged. I'm just discouraged. I've had a hard week. I've had a hard conversation. Maybe I'm battling anxiety or nervousness or fear. And so there are times when I sit right over there and I am just feeling a sense of discouragement. I know none of you do. Okay, but... Here's one of the ways in which God ministers to me through the gathering of his people in a way in which we proclaim the gospel of the kingdom that changed our lives. You ready? So when I look around this room and I see some of you, and I don't know every story in this room, but I know a lot of them, and I see you lift your voice in song and I see you lift your hand in praise and I know that God walked with you as you were in a season where you lost a child. And I know that God walked with you when you were in a season when you begged him for the next one. And I know that God walked with you when he restored your marriage and when he reminded you of the goodness when a prodigal child was far from home. And when I see you lift your voice in song and when I see you raise your hands in worship, it encourages me. And it's a supernatural miracle that we get to witness when we proclaim as we gather in worship to a God who deserves our praise. This is why. This is how we proclaim. Here's the second way we proclaim here at, at Prestonwood, not only as we gather and worship, but as we grow in life group, as we grow in life group. Th this is our transformation by God. This is where uh, the messy in the middle takes place, where God takes our mess and he begins to mold it and shape it in light of the goodness of his grace. And we get to do it not in isolation, but we get to do it in community, one with another. You know, there's been a popular phrase in the church in the last 10 years or so. And uh, it, it is that it's okay not to be okay. And while that statement is very true, 
There should be a follow-up. It should not have a period but a comma because here's the second half of that. But it's not okay to stay that way. Right? It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Why? Because John 10.10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. See, one of the evidences of God's abundant life is that he gives us the gift of biblical community. Friends in faith who are willing to link arms with us in the best moments and, yes, family, in the worst. Come alongside us and encourage us and be literally uh, the instruments in the hands of a redeeming God that mold us and shape us to look more like his son. Again, I could show you in the scriptures over and over and over again where this plays out. But when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, a a city of significance with a church that was uh, growing and trying to figure out what it looks like to put their newfound belief into practice. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4 in verses 15 and 16, and he encourages the church to grow up in love. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every, in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what God does. And he does it in relationship, through community. And listen, it's a a means by which we proclaim the gospel of the kingdom throughout the whole world as a testimony to all. And how do you do that? Well, when people see that you're willing to walk alongside others in the best moments and in the worst, there is a proclamation that gets made about the goodness of God right in the middle of that. And some of you are here today, and you need to experience the blessing of finding a life group so that you too can see the supernatural gift of community that Christ died so that you can have. And this is not something I merely say. This is something that we do. In fact, Mary and I will meet with our life group tonight at 5 o'clock in my living room. We practice this. We always have. And one of the great ways in which God has ministered to us in just some of the messiest moments of our life have, have been through the ministry of his church through life group, through small group communities. I'll show you a picture on the screen. This is a picture from December 2011. This is the very first Wednesday night after Mary and I had received the diagnosis about our daughter, Hannah. She has a very rare chromosomal abnormality. She's significantly disabled, has severe special needs. And immediately after we received that diagnosis, the very next Wednesday night was the first time our life group was going to get together after that news had gotten out. And although I was teaching the life group, you can see me standing there in that blue shirt, then before we began, that life group took a moment and called us to prayer. And Mary is seated. You see her seated in that row. And uh, there are friends that are kneeling before her and friends that are circled around us. And they are laying hands on us and praying God's mercy and blessing and protection on us because this is what the church does. And regardless of how big any other entity wants to get, there is nothing on the earth that is quite like the church when it comes to the redeeming work of God in the lives of those who belong to him. No other institution, no other organization can replicate the work of God's church. Never have and never will. So we proclaim as we grow in life group. Third, I would say this, we proclaim as we go on mission. As we go on mission. Um, This is our invitation from God. Can you believe that God has invited us into his amazing work of redemption? Like if I were trying to put a team together of all-stars, let me just tell you who I would not pick. Me. 
right? And, and if we're being honest, you would say the same thing about you. It's not like God looked down from heaven and thought, you know what? These guys have really got it all together. I think I'm going to use them. But that's the work of the gospel, that God takes the most unlikely people and does the most impossible things because he gets the credit and the glory because that's a work that God alone could do. And this is the miracle. And he's invited us into this work. It's how we get to proclaim the good news of the gospel. You and I have been invited to play on the greatest team ever assembled in all of history, Team Jesus. And if you are in Christ, guess what? You wear the uniform of the Holy Spirit of God. And so you've been invited to play every moment, every minute for the entirety of the game. How long? Until the whole world hears. And then the end comes. And then the buzzer sounds. And so we all get to play and fulfill this responsibility. Can you believe he's entrusted it to us? This is what Jesus told the church. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gives the great commission, right? Just before he ascends into heaven, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. The better rendering of that is as you go. Or in other words, in your going, there's this expectation that we're going to be a people who make disciples, who baptize disciples, who mold disciples. We teach disciples because this is what God has expected of his church. It's, in fact, it's what he's invited us to participate in. When Jesus told uh, the church that was waiting uh, uh, for Pentecost and for the uh, Holy Spirit to come, they're gathered in that upper room where they had been meeting with Jesus prior to his crucifixion. Uh, Jesus tells him, and uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses. Now, what is a witness? A witness is someone who makes a statement about what they absolutely believe to be true. And if your life has been changed by the power of the gospel, then guess what? God has equipped you, and in Christ Jesus called you to be a witness for him. You get to testify. Listen, I know who I was. I know where I was headed. Jesus showed up. He changed me. He is changing me. He's making me different from who I was, changing the direction of where I was going. And the only thing I can tell you is that it's all about him. Everybody gets to make that declaration. He's invited all of us to play. I told you about going in 2018 to that refugee camp in East Africa. But what I didn't tell you is that one of the individuals that I was able to meet was a young man who had been abandoned at birth. Because... And on the continent of Africa, oftentimes individuals born with disabilities and special needs uh, don't last. They don't live. It's so usually one or two reasons. One is they don't have the medical care, access to available medical care to help them with the fragility that they have. Or in many instances that uh, there are some who believe that an individual born with a disability is cursed. And so they're therefore they're discarded. Well, this young man has Down syndrome. His parents abandoned him. He was orphaned. But there were about four or five women in the village uh, who had adopted him and taken him in. So he had no home to call his own, but he was able to stay with a few different families while those mamas were taking care of him and trying their best to help him live. And I was able to have a conversation with this young man through a translator. You can see one of our medical students there. And uh, I was able to uh, uh, tell that young man that uh, he is not an accident, but actually he has a God who loves him very much, and he has a family that has adopted him forever and ever and ever, and a God who has fathered him and promised to be with him in every moment of every day. And his significance has nothing to do with what he is able to do or not able to do, but rather because of who he is, because of a God who loves him and made him. Now, 
how am I able to have a conversation with a kid with Down syndrome in Burundi, East Africa, unless God hadn't entrusted to me years before two children that are significantly disabled, and I happen to have a heart that is uniquely wired to want to serve individuals who have been made different from you and me. And when God saved me, in July of, two, of 1998, I had no idea that he would use me in 2018 to be able to lay hands on a young man and tell him about a God who loved him and made him just the way he is right? But he's invited us to go on mission. That's how we proclaim. And every single one of us has a part to play. This is how we tell what God has done. And we are called to this work together. Listen, the life that God has entrusted to you in Christ Jesus is not meant to be lived in isolation. We are a people who created for community. And so we proclaim God's goodness we proclaim God's love. We proclaim God's amazing grace. And we do this work together. This is the miracle of the church. God's people doing God's work. And we're doing this work together until the whole world hears. This is how he is entrusted for us to proclaim. Turn your attention to the screen. Two. Prosper is currently ranked number two in the entire DFW Metroplex for total new home starts, 2,650. That's the number of house closings Prosper ISD expects per year from now through 2026. That means every year, over 2,600 families, couples, and individuals will move to our backyard. More people who need a friendly face, a new church home, a place to raise their kids. Let me share a few more numbers. 30%, that was our worship growth just last year. 46%, that's how much growth we experienced in kids ministry alone. Not to mention 26% in our students and 30% in our adult life groups. The harvest is plentiful. The desire for a church home is great and the people are coming. As we've watched God multiply our church family and our surrounding area, I'm reminded of Matthew 24, 14, which says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. When we think about bringing the message of Jesus to all, we think of it in the context of our time, in our reach, in our neighborhoods, but to God, all includes those who are not here, those who have not yet moved here, and those who are not born here. But we know they're coming. And with their arrival comes an incredible opportunity, the opportunity to proclaim the good news of the gospel to more people, which is why we are launching a new initiative called Proclaim. Proclaim is the next phase in our campus expansion. But more than that, it is our opportunity to partner with God to reach all people in our neighborhoods and communities. We are so excited about what's ahead. While we're dreaming about how God wants us to use our entire 120 plus acres one day, our concentration with Proclaim is to expand our capacity so that we can create more encounters with Jesus. It's a proclamation for us to reach more. We're not just building the church uh, for those that are here. 
uh, but for those that are not yet here. We remember the very first worship that we set in. Both of us were in tears from the moment that we walked in until the moment that we walked out. It was so clear to us that this was where God had in place for us. I look in the congregation, I see so many new faces and, and I see this community growing and it's, it's such a huge opportunity, but it's, it's overwhelming to me. It's emotional, right? Because uh, we did this on, on, on faith, right? We, we knocked on doors trying to get people to come to the first service and now to see it as big as it is, it's, it's been an amazing experience. In this phase, Proclaim will provide us with the opportunity for more parking, which will serve the whole church and expand our capacity for community-facing events. Our plan is to create new lots on the north and western sides of our campus. It's no secret that the fastest growing demographic of the North Campus is our young families. As a part of Proclaim, we will create more space in our children's area. This will provide us a state-of-the-art and safe ministry space for hundreds of kids, giving us a fun and creative environment for our kids to learn about the love of Jesus. Finally, we plan to expand our worship center and update the interior. This will increase our attendance capacity and also allow us to make some much needed updates to our technology in order to elevate our worship experience. Proclaim is a big initiative with a big vision because we serve a big God. In total, we believe this project will cost close to $10 million. And we are excited to see how God will use our new space for all the people he will bring to our community and our church in the years ahead. From staff to members and everyone in between, our responsibility is to prayerfully consider how we might be a part of this next chapter at the North Campus. Coming to Prestonwood, I changed my career because that's what God wanted me to do, to be close to Him. There was a lot of fear, there was a lot of worries, which wasn't from Him, but Jehovah Jireh, our provider God, has provided us not just enough, but more than what it would have been if I went my own way. So give is an exercise of faith. Sometimes it's really easy to give out of your abundance, but when you give a sacrificial gift for the fathering of God's kingdom, and that's what this is, this expansion and this opportunity is that we give sacrificially because we know it's gonna impact the very lives of the people that God's gonna call here to do life right here at Preston. Join in with us as we just see what God has for us as we launch into this Proclaim campaign. Proclaim, what a powerful word to describe our hopes and prayers for this coming season at Prestonwood North Campus. God continues to entrust us with more and more opportunities to see lives changed and Let's be clear, lives are being changed by the supernatural power of Jesus. We are witnessing people set free from addictions, marriages restored, divorces redeemed, the lonely finding community and students stepping into a relationship with Jesus and surrendering to ministry. And then countless numbers of people discovering life in Christ, salvation that comes only through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
As we enter this new initiative, our desire is to proclaim the testimony of what God has already done through Prestonwood North Campus, to proclaim what he has done and is doing right now, and to proclaim what we know he will do. This initiative is our opportunity to partner with him. And I look forward to how God will use each one of us in the days ahead to proclaim his good news to our community and to the world. More are coming. More who will need to hear the good news. More who will then proclaim what God has done. And we will be ready. All right, so there it is, church family. Uh, I'm excited uh, to be able to share that with you uh, this morning. Three major components to this initiative. The first is uh, to expand this worship center. We think we can get uh, between four and 500 additional seats in this room through some changes, updating the technology as well, because not only do we want to elevate the worship experience for those of us that are in the room, but we are committed uh, to live streaming our worship services from the North Campus moving forward. And so we are excited about that. In addition to that, you saw that we are going to overhaul the check-in area and give expanded real estate and square footage to children's ministry. It's the fastest growing area of our church, and we have uh, dozens and dozens of first-time families that are uh, getting children checked in safely, and we want to be able to accommodate them appropriately and continue to give room for the children's ministry of the church uh, to grow. And then lastly, uh, uh, definitely the least cool way to spend real resources, but arguably the most necessary is that we we need to add parking, and I probably don't have to convince any of you uh, about that. And uh, so I'm excited uh, for us, but I'm asking you, if you consider Prestonwood your church home, I'm asking you today to begin now prayerfully considering how God would call you to sacrificially give to this. And if you're a guest with us, welcome. I'm so excited that you got to see the vision that we believe God has birthed in our hearts. And uh, hopefully now you see that we are trying to steward responsibly what we believe God is calling us to do next. This is how we proclaim. We proclaim when we gather, as we grow, as we go, and we proclaim as we give together to the kingdom of God. This is our participation with what God is already at work doing right here. And so I'm asking you to prayerfully consider how God might be calling you to sacrificially give uh, to this work. And, and so as it relates to how we believe the Bible teaches our understanding of finances, I'll just say this. We must be a people who shift our mindset from ownership to stewardship. Okay? God, we believe, owns everything. And he has temporarily entrusted some things to you and to me. And we are called to steward those some things, including our finances, for the season in which God has entrusted them to our care. After all, we want to honor God with our resources. That's what Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And as it relates to this gospel of the kingdom that God has entrusted for us to proclaim, recognize this. This is an eternal work. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ will live forever. Buildings are just buildings. But buildings represent opportunities. Opportunities to, to, for more people to have a genuine encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And why are we willing to invest our resources into those things? Well, because people matter forever. And ours is a God of eternity. And so what we have will not last forever. But what we do with what we have could. 
And so I'm challenging you to think responsibly uh, about how God might be wanting you to participate sacrificially in this good work. This is what Paul uh, uh, encouraged his younger brother in the faith, Timothy, uh, to shepherd and steward the New Testament church uh, as it relates to how we are to steward the resources God has given to us. He said this in 1 Timothy 6, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And just so you'll know, as your pastor, I would never ever ask you to do something that I'm not willing to. And so Mary and I are making a sacrificial gift. It is sacrificial to us and it is significant for the Bales family. I'm all in. I would never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to. And I've, I've thought a lot about what God is calling us to do. And I believe with all of my heart, this is the responsible and right next step for us as a church. And so I'm hoping that God gives you this vision and that he is, compels you to want to sacrificially get behind this and give. I'll just tell you one cool story uh, before we close. Um, as we uh, headed toward the end of last year, we had been praying as a staff and leaders in the church about what God might be calling us to do next. And uh, so we started thinking about uh, this Proclaim initiative. Um, and yet it wasn't public in any way at all. And we were just still working with architects and contractors and trying to wrap our arms around all that we thought maybe God was asking us uh, to do. We got a phone call from a, a, a woman in, uh, who used to be affiliated with Prestonwood. For a long time, Prestonwood was her church home. Uh, a few years ago, uh, she and her family had moved to, to Mississippi. They actually owned land at one period of time in and around Prosper and Frisco. And, and so she had an affection and an affinity for the work that God was doing here. When she calls, she said, I love Prestonwood. I'm grateful for the ministry and the proclamation of uh, the word at Prestonwood. And I keep hearing all this exciting things about the north campus of Prestonwood. And I'm just wondering, is there anything going on that if I were able to give a gift toward it, it might really help uh, the work that God is already doing there. And so we were able to talk with her and tell her uh, about Proclaim. And, uh, and this woman who is now widowed, her husband has gone on to heaven, said, okay, great. Well, I'll, uh, I'll send instructions just in the next couple of days. And we received a $300,000 gift from this widow who does not attend our church, who I have never had the privilege to meet. And this was just God's affirmation to us that what he was calling us to do was in fact the right thing. And so I hope that that encourages you and maybe sparks something in you. And again, I, I just believe uh, that this is the right next step for us as a church. I keep going over this uh, a statement in my mind over and over and over again the last several months. And uh, who is it that God doesn't want to reach? Right? I mean, I don't think it's all up to us as a church. I, I'm for every other gospel-centered uh, church in our neighborhood and in our backyard. Praise God, yes and amen. But with everyone who dons the doors here at Prestonwood, who is it that God doesn't want us to reach? I, I just want to be found faithful, stewarding every life that God has entrusted to our care. Don't you? 
And so I'm hoping that God inspires you and encourages you to get behind this vision that he has entrusted to us. I believe the best is ahead for us. And so um, if you are far from God and don't have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, then the first thing that I believe God wants you to hear is he has sent me to proclaim the good news of salvation to you today. I'm here to proclaim that there is life in Christ. If you choose to repent of your sin and confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then the Bible says you are saved. And my job today is to proclaim that message of hope to you right now. Others of you, maybe today you would just say, I'm all in with this and I want to start praying now about what God might call us to do toward this. And so you want to come kneel at this altar and pray or maybe uh, you need to be baptized like those we saw in the waters earlier this morning because God has already done a good work in your life and you need to declare externally what has begun within. But now I'm going to give you an invitation and an opportunity to respond to this good work and I'm praying that you would be obedient to whatever it is that God has said. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you've done. Father, I pray that as we enter into this time of invitation, we would be a people obedient to exercise faith and to respond. God, thank you for the gospel of the kingdom. Help us to be found faithful as we seek to proclaim in our gathering, in our growing, in our going, and yes, Lord Jesus, in our giving. Forgive our sin, cause us to be more like your son. We love you. We cannot do this without you. We pray to you and through you. In Jesus' good name, amen.